1: He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. This is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. here with another edition of the old church planner podcast uh, go, 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 go. That's
2: <laughs> Popeye. <laughs> is that what that was? Okay? Yeah, right. when I was a firefighter, there was a guy uh we used to be in the uh firehouse. He he was my partner, and we got lost. He'd always do Popeye, Uh, and I'd find him in the dark. It was quite romantic, really. You know, um,
1: a firefighter getting lost does not,
2: you know, make me believe that that's
1: the kind of guy I want as a firefighter. Because if you can't find his way to my house, yeah, I don't know. There's too much smoke. (laughs) If you can't, if you can't help me out by finding my house,
2: I'm I'm not feeling too safe and secure with him. Well, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, uh, you should know that during some of the, uh, exercises where we we're in a giant smokehouse, they call them smoke houses back there. It's not like America for barbecue. That's in the UK. So firefighter for four years. And, uh, during the training, your final exam is that they fill a house with fire and smoke and uh, it's all made out of concrete. It's a couple stories, um, supposed to be like an old factory or something. And then you, you go in and you got to find bodies, right? And, uh, they're just big dummies. Well, they had a baby one. And it takes a long time. People don't understand in a fire how long it takes to, to get up a stairway to make sure you don't fall through and die. And, uh, you know, I, I, I threw the baby down the stairs because it saved time and hoped my partner would catch it. He caught it. <laughs> but uh, if that made you uncomfortable, you know, throwing babies down the stairs will definitely not make you put your faith in a firefighter. Well, at least it was a dummy. It was a dummy, yeah.
1: Because I'm willing uh, to bet you would not have done that with a real baby.
2: Oh, definitely not. And you know, I knew at that point that no instructors were around, so because it it is almost pitch black in there. I mean, you cannot see. So, anyways that that was a reason for the pop. I can't see you right now, so I just figured I'd make sure you were out there and reach out. Uh, ga, 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 ga. <laughs>
1: hey, before we get on our topic for the day, I uh I had to share with you a little tweet interaction I had with Ed Stetzer this morning. So oh, there you go, name dropping. I know. Go on. I know, but you know, it's a it's a it's a Twitter interaction. So Right on, man. So Ed Stetzer puts out, There'll be no dogs in heaven, just saying. So I replied back, How about the new earth?
2: And Yeah, baby. That's how you do it.
1: <laughs> well then he replied back to me any place where sin is cleansed from the earth will be free from dogs. So <gasps> yeah. Dude, you can't not
2: like dogs. I'm
1: telling you right there, my my opinion of Ed little bit shaken i'm not not afraid to admit a little bit shaken
2: yeah i'm I'm not sure if he's entirely redeemed if he doesn't like dogs (laughs) he doesn't he's a cat man you can just tell that's a cat man yeah i am a cat man okay fair enough ed if you like cats you're you're okay are you a cat man too i dude i'm a cat and a dog man i don't know if i can continue to do the podcast with you to be yeah but my cats are huge have you ever seen my cat you've got cats too what are you mr doolittle Dude, I'm telling you, I got a desert tortoise, I got a cat, and I got a dog. But my cat and is almost as big as a dog. So that instantly makes my my cat cool, and he kills everything. So he is like uh, Esau or, or Nimrod, a hunter before the Lord, I'm telling you. I thought you had he a is, pit uh, bull, though. No, that's you, man. You don't have a pit bull? What I, kind of dog do you I, have? Well, I've got an English—okay, I've got I've got a dog from the UK. It's a uh, Staffordshire Bull Terrier. So, yeah, it is kind of like the British version of the of the pit bull. It just, it's got a little bit of class, you know. And that dog doesn't go after your cat? No, dude, they're best buds. I told you, my cat's
1: big. It's a good thing that I know this because I'm actually allergic to cats. So I couldn't have stayed at your house while you
2: were gone, you know, when you were offering Uh, it to me. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked for me. Uh, Dude, we're really getting off topic. Hey, let's. So, what did Ed say? Any place where sin is cleansed from the earth will be free from dogs. Oh yeah, we covered that already. Yeah, we huh? did. Thanks. Way to go. <laughs> anyway, let, all right. let's actually get right on, on the topic at hand. I I actually, you know, I got distracted. We we're talking about pets. I can only keep one thought at one time, man. You know that about me. So here's the deal. Um we we've been through a, a rough time recently as a uh as a church plant. Um, you know, uh, recently the uh one of the guys that we baptized got shot and killed um by police of all of all things. So uh, it's been kind of a, a hard time for our congregation. There's a bit of a, a question as to, uh, you know, why, why he, uh, got shot. Um, you know, he was, uh, clean up his life. Um, he was actually talking to gang members a lot and trying to get them out of gangs. And so he was hanging out with a guy in a car. Can't really talk about the, the particulars of it, but, um, but he ran when he shouldn't have. Um, the other guy started resisting a bit and, Um, you know, the interrogation by the police and it it got out of hand and our guy ran and got shot and killed in the street. So, um, we just did the funeral yesterday to complicate matters. Uh, he was the older brother of two of our leaders. And so, you know, it's just been a lot of heartache and we loved him. And, uh, it's just one of the trials of church planning in urban America. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I think
1: the other part that's kind of interesting about that because there's th- this situation is something that I mean it, it could really rock someone's faith, and especially when we look at that family. Um, Ruben is the younger brother, and he had just uh, uh, preached the Sunday before. Um, the police had actually even you know threatened Eric's life uh the week before they'd said hey if we see you back here in this city we're going to beat you or we're going to kill you and yeah. um you know the next week um he gets shot by the police i mean it just it's one of those things where where uh you know it could really rock somebody's faith um it's that's type of thing we don't expect it to happen here in america and you know we don't know the whole story behind it and unfortunately no one's really going to know the whole story except for you know the cop that was there um and maybe the other guy that ran i don't know i don't know how much of it he saw the other guy that was there but you know i i think here's the question that this brings up peyton because we've got guys who are planting churches in urban areas and you know take for instance uh joel meyer down there in um belize belize Where, you know, as you've said before, you know, he puts out a a newsletter and he says, hey, you know, you guys have been praying for this guy. He's been killed. And, you know, and when we did our interview with him, he even mentioned that, uh, you know, he and his son had seen people killed right in front of him. So how does a pastor or how should a pastor uh, handle this type of stuff, specifically in terms of, Let's say we do have a guy now, you know, we're not going to say that we know the whole details behind, uh, you know, our guy's death. Cause we don't, but, but let's just say we've got somebody who has turned their life around and they're killed, um, and, and not by a gang they're killed by supposedly the good guys. What's supposed hmm. to be the, uh, the pastor's reaction. I mean, how are, how are you supposed to, uh, address that situation?
2: well there there was definitely an issue of um uh, you know police mishandling this situation to begin with, so i mean you know we're uh we're we're definitely looking at a justice issue right now um i won't go into it but there was there was uh some uh, definitely some uh some wrongdoing on the part of of the police in this case and uh that doesn't make it easier but um you know I, I think the first place that you have to rest is you have to rest in, in God's, uh, absolute sovereignty and control. Um, even to the point where Jesus made the point of, of saying to, to his listeners, look, a sparrow doesn't fall from heaven apart from your heavenly father's, uh, noticing. And Reuben, who is, uh, Eric's younger brother, who's on our leadership team, um, guy is a church planner in the making. Um, very dynamic, very uh passionate evangelist um you know he's he's accidentally started a couple churches, and I mean, I could go on and on about Reuben great teacher he's very apostolic um he knew right away that uh that that god's timing was on this, and his greatest comfort was that uh a year ago he baptized his brother and he had seen a consistent change. In his brother over time and had seen the effects of God's grace working in Eric's life to the point where he had given up, uh, any kind of, uh, gang banging. He had, um, gotten a job, gotten his uh, certificate in, in construction, gotten off parole. Um, you know, had, uh, started to get his tattoos removed, not, not because he thought they were evil, but because he wanted to start moving ahead in life and, and felt that, you know, some of his tattoos were, we're, we're holding them back, and so uh you know I mean it, it the, the more than anything in fact, Reuben posted today he posted that uh you know uh, everybody dies, and it's only a, a question of timing and um and so for Reuben, it centered him back on the gospel and I can certainly tell you um as I stood up at the funeral yesterday and looked out on a sea of people that um these were these were convicts. These were many of these people were rough, rough people. Um, you could see it in their eyes, on their faces. Uh, many of them involved in gangs. And whenever I'm at a at a funeral like that, I'm always aware of the immense gospel opportunity. And that's exactly what I drove home uh, when I was speaking. I just said, "Look, you know, this did not happen for nothing. This is not in vain. In fact, Eric was uh, spending a, a good chunk of his time trying to talk people out of the gang lifestyle." and he um had um uh, when you know at the funeral at, people were just testifying you know Eric saved my butt here he did this you know he was he was fearless he he wasn't afraid if it was right to do it and i i just mentioned well you know god is using eric now even now god is using eric to pull you guys out of it and i i just you know preach the gospel and um and you could just sense the spirit of god there you could sense Um, God was working and moving and, uh, many people came up to me afterwards. Some of them, uh, converted, uh, ex-cons that, uh, have since been with us, but some of them were just guys that, you know, they had never heard. And you could tell they had not heard the gospel before, like Eric, um, before, before he was preached to. And so I think the number one thing to remember is always that God is at work, regardless, and to keep that in focus, that that these things happen. I, the scripture came to mind in, in the funeral, as I was listening to people give the eulogy, where uh, Jesus said, you know, this has happened, speaking of Lazarus's death, where Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have been killed, and uh, or he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this happened so that God might be glorified. And that's that's what i think happens in times like that when an infant dies god forbid you know but but when god does permit um it, god has a way of glorifying himself and showing a different aspect of himself to people during those times and that's precious so i think that's the main thing that people need to uh to keep in mind
1: so but my question is really how how are you supposed to address as a pastor some of the you know, the the angst and the, hey, you know, the police did this to us. The police killed one of our guys. What do you see your role as a pastor in dealing with that, in dealing with the issues that come up with people? Like, how do you address it? Just simply that, God will use it, and then, you know, that's it? Or, I mean, how else do you address it?
2: Yeah, well, I I think there's a balance there, because um, on one hand, you've got very much a justice issue, and we are called to um, defend the weak and uh, protect those that can 't protect themselves there 's you know in the old testament God would would lay out to um, Israel through the prophets that look you you're you 're meant to um, stick up for the widow and orphan you 're meant to uh, stand against the oppression of the poor um, you 're meant to give to the needy there 's all these social obligations that that the people that in the scripture are called righteous, obviously we know. It's the righteousness of Christ, but that grace, as Jesus brings out in the New Testament, it it has a way of working out in our life. So when we approach social situations or encounter situations in our life, we're to be dispensers of God's grace. But that does not negate the fact that at the same time we have to stand up for justice. So in this case, you know, they are going to pursue it legally um, because it's right, because there was an abuse of power. Um, there was, uh, a reluctance to call the ambulance as he was bleeding out. Um, you know, there's clear cases in which something has to be done because, uh, in one sense, I'm going to probably go a little bit too far here, but it was a case of bullying with badges on. And, um, and, and that's the kind of thing that, um, as Christians, we are called, to uh not just for our own sake but for the sake of those who cannot stand up for themselves I, I you know and and for me um i've i've actually reached out to the media um recently to say hey i'm here to talk because half of our leadership are ex-cons so and ruben you know if he goes up and says hey you know um i and they did interview him and he preached a gospel on the on the news um when they're interviewing him on the street at the scene and you know, for me, for him, you know, anything that they write about him, they're going to write that, you know, he also is an ex-con and blah, blah, blah. And immediately you get a sense. But when a minister comes on, you know, who is not an ex-con and says, hey, there's, there's an issue of injustice and he's white, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm white bread, you know what I mean? I'm honky tonk. Right. And so when I come on there and say, hey, there's, there's an issue here. It's a game changer. It's actually that that whole good Samaritan thing where, uh, here's someone I'm crossing this racial boundary and I'm for, for just the justice issue. I'm stepping across and saying, Hey, um, I, I need to bandage this guy up, put him on my horse and at cost to myself, um, do what's right in this scenario. So that's, that's the one. And so as you're standing up for justice, you also have to, um, equally, um, uh, guard against any kind of bitterness and continually remind people about grace and the fact that unforgiveness and bitterness is something that destroys the person who harbors it. It will do absolutely nothing to the cop who uh, was involved in the situation, but it will destroy that community, that family, um, as they continue to cling to it. And so, Often when someone hurts us, um, you know, let's say, you know, you can use the analogy that when Eric was shot and killed, the family and friends were hurt by the action of that cop, but to allow bitterness and anger to consume them allows that cop to hurt them again and again and again and again, and it continues to empower that action. And so God, out of love for us, says, hey, I want you to forgive. And so I think as a minister, you've got that responsibility in an issue like that to, you know, kind of maintain that balance as you're dealing with the family.
1: You know, and and using like that specific case, how can you, as a pastor, differentiate between, hey, I think there was some injustice done, or at the same time, there's got to be in the back of your mind, well, you know, he's an ex-con. He did have a gun on him. You know, so maybe he did do something that deserved for him to be shot. You know, I, we're, we're, how do you draw that line? Does that make sense well, what I'm asking?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, he did have a gun on him. Um they've never said that he shot it and um the the the, the cop shot him 10 times in the back. And I mean, so it, we're looking at at this issue um Eric always had a gun. <laughs> Having, having been an ex-gang member, it's kind of like Peter. You're reading about the disciples and, um, they, they say, Lord, do we, you know, how many swords do we need? And Jesus said, how many do you have? And they said, two. And they were packing heat. You know what I mean? So packing heat doesn't mean necessarily. Eric was a, was a guy who, because of his gang mentality, um, he probably felt a need to have that gun on him for protection. And, uh, um, as far as we've, we've heard there, the Eric did not fire back that gun. There's been no evidence of that at present. So um, we're kind of looking at, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation Um the, the clear statement has been that when, when there was an altercation between the other guy and um, Eric was there in the car with him, that Eric ran. And the fact that they found a gun on him um, doesn't really say anything. Uh, Ruben said point blank, Hey, my brother could have shot and killed anyone he wanted. Um, he was no stranger to using a weapon. Um, but that just wasn't what he chose to do. He chose to, he, Ruben said specifically, if my brother ran, he wouldn't intend to hurt anybody. So, you know, so that's, that's kind of where it's at. I mean, yeah, you, you're always led to kind of speculate, but I, I think what's, what all this has brought home to me is just the fact that, you know, we, we're dealing with, um, people that are in the inner city and it, it's, it's very complicated. You know, it's like you, you see people saved and that's not the end of the story. I mean, you're dealing with a culture where, um, you know, it, you can take a, a, a boy out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the boy. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it, Eric was in process. Um, the Lord was grabbing hold of him. But, um, as, as you look at, at, at church planning, um, there are specific things that a church planter deals with that uh, other people do not deal with you're going to deal with a lot more addiction a lot more violence a lot more uh unemployment a lot more alcoholism you're going to deal with a lot more um issues that people are having with social services um getting their kids taken away i mean you know like i said as a as a white guy coming into an inner city neighborhood it has been a real eye-opener i mean i've gotten up and close and personal with people Mm -hmm. and when I read the news reports of how they reported the story versus the guy I knew, um, it was like night and day, right. you know, and, uh, and I realize that often what's said, um, from my is, look, um, white America holds the power and they're writing the story. And I, I would say that in, in many cases for me, working on the streets of people in the last few years has really changed the way that I look at it, at, at these things. And, and not only that, I was at a pastor's conference recently and uh we were all at breakfast and you sit with a bunch of pastors. You don't know, there's a thousand people there. And, uh, I, at one point they said, what do you do? And I said, I plant in the inner city. And they said, well, um, what's that like? And I said, well, you know, um, and I started to tell them and they said, wow, you know, that's, that's amazing. Um, you know, wow, not many people want to do that. And that just pushed a button in me. And I said, you know, it's funny you say that because, um, why is that? Why is it that we don't go where the need is? And, and that's kind of what I want to open up a little bit today is, um, even, even my sinning pastor, he went to the scene and he was there, uh, because I was in Minnesota adopting the baby when it happened. And I called all my pastor friends and said, Hey, can you go down there and support my guys? And, uh, he went there and he spoke that night. I mean, fair play to him. My, uh, my sinning pastor is a missionary at heart. And he went down there, spent all day, wept with him, prayed with him. And then I tuned into the live feed that night of his Saturday evening service. And he was just sharing about, um, the whole situation. He was just saying it, it opened my eyes. Um, you know, what are we doing for this community? And, uh, uh, I think a lot of church planters are thinking, man, I want to go out and I want to church plant. Um, and they're looking at the kinds of places that they ought to be uh, planting. And they're, they're, a lot of times it's things like this. These are the reasons that guys want to plant uh, in a given area. Um, number one, it's cool and I like it. Um, it's hip and trendy. Or it's close to my house. Or, or, or they're my kind of people. You know
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. This
2: is my yeah. kind of community. I fit or in it's, here. It's, yeah, it's La Jolla or, yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot of money there, you know, or it's a fast growing town and, um, you know, the, there's a lot of upperly mobile people there or, um, should be easy to do it there or, um, you know, uh, I've met people there who've left a church disgruntled. They want a church or, you know, um, I talked to a wealthy guy and he wants me to, uh, plant in this area. Um, and he said if I would do it, you know, he would support me. And, and I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but I, you know, when I sat at that breakfast table with those pastors, I, I, I just, I don't know. Sometimes I can be kind of punky and I, I just started saying, look, man, the inner city is the gaping wound, man, of our society. And we pretend it's not there and we do all these demographics and we look all over America. And I said, man, you need to go to the inner city. You know, you need to start planning. If you're a church in suburbia that can put people on staff, you need to start looking at training your guys up. I said, you got interns? Uh, well, we did, but, you know, I said, look, most churches, if they get interns, they don't know what in the heck to do with them because they they train these guys up and they like, hey, you know, I take all the pulpit time, so I don't know what to do with you. I said, send them to me. right? Send them to me and I will do something with them. I know where to send them. And so it, we pretend that that it's not there, you know i it's what's called hard to reach places um inner cities are, and uh, you know i'm I'm starting to rant, so I should probably shut up, but the reality is these hard to reach places, man it, it, you know a hard to reach place is like the smaller your back, you know, but these are armpits, you know what I'm saying? No one wants to stick their finger in a stinky armpit and scratch it, but that's where the need is, and I'm convinced that's where Jesus would go to. If you look at Jesus's ministry, um, he didn't go to the nice ritzy parts of Israel. He went to Capernaum. He went to uh, Caesarea. um, He went to Samaria. He went to places where people didn't typically want to go. You know, and this brings me
1: to something I think church planners need to address with themselves, how they're planning to address this. And that's the the element of politics, uh, political. Uh, I'm not talking about inside the church kind of politics, but I mean how do they address, um, you know, the the national mm-hmm. politics for the area that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we joke that we've only got five listeners, and the reality is we've actually got a, a lot of listeners. It's kind of cool. Shh, don't tell. Them. Don't tell. Them. I mean, it's it's not just Joey and Barry and Johnny and Donnie and David and. All the other, you're just making people up. Joey and Barry are real, man. (laughs) (laughs) But um, wherever they're at in the world, um, you know, how do you address politics? And let me give you my preface for going into this. Um, I was meeting with uh, a youth pastor of a of a church you and I both know very well and i was meeting with him because i wanted to get some some inside information uh from his perspective being a youth pastor and so this is this is back when uh the election was about ready to happen between mitt romney and uh barack obama and the the senior pastor at this church was all over facebook just relentlessly all over facebook you know, you gotta vote for Mitt Romney. We gotta stand with this guy. Uh Barack Obama is horrible and just and so I just I commented to the youth pastor. He's a Muslim. <laughs> yeah, I do. Who knows, <laughs> right? I can't even
2: remember what it was. It was just it was it was so much, right? No, I'm just teasing. I don't I, I didn't even see. I I'm just
1: so I just I commented I'm just laughing at people. I just commented to the youth pastor. I'm like, man, you know, so and so is really like just all over Facebook about this. And uh, and he goes, Yeah, yeah, you know what? How does Peyton treat that at, at Long Beach? And I'm like, Oh, you don't understand Long Beach at all. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Okay, first of all, we're in Long Beach, okay? There couldn't be a bigger community all in favor of Barack Obama and all against Mitt Romney than Long Absolutely. Beach. Absolutely, I mean, we're I mean, it's it's like as far as like the gay community is concerned, San Francisco is the biggest, and then I think it's Long Beach is the the next biggest, and it's it's a, absolutely it's a very absolutely. liberal community, and so I'm like, you don't get it. Like, Peyton would not waste his time from the pulpit talking about anything political, because first of all, that's not going to bring anyone to Christ. But, you know, I notice this so much in churches, so much. And, and I want to know, how is a church planner supposed to address political issues? How, how do you think that they should, um, you know, I, I, I don't even know, I, I make, make well, their positions known or not make them known? Or the, how do
2: they address it? The only it? answer I can give to that is to look at what, how did Jesus address political issues? You know, he just said, my kingdom's not of this world. You know, um, if he mentioned uh Pilate uh mingling the 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 sacrifices uh the blood of the Jews with sacrifices, he just said, Hey, let me just turn it around on you. Um, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Um, they were always trying to trap him politically by baiting him into political conversations. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be politically active, but I think it's it's food sacrifice to idols. I believe it's a, a personal issue. Um in, in at least speaking in the church, because I do not want to be guilty of when Jesus is standing before the most powerful man in all of Israel, and he has the opportunity to really uh, get some political business done. Jesus says, hey, my kingdom in and of this world, you have no authority that wasn't given to you already. When Paul addresses the authorities, he says, hey, they're God's agents. And, um, you know, they were worse than the Democrats, the Romans. The Romans were, uh, you know, he says, they bear the sword. Well, meanwhile, keep in mind that, you know, the Romans were exterminating Jews and Christians under the reign of Nero, and yet Paul says, hey, they're a check on evil. Um, we be- we believe in a sovereign God. Um, Isaiah has this big... Uh, vision of um, Christ on the throne uh, in chapter 6 when he says, you know, I saw the the span of the heavens filled with, with the frame of a man on a throne, and he says it was the year that King Uzziah died, and King Isaiah was one of those kings who had um, really repented and turned the nation around, and on the year he dies, he sees Jesus on the throne. I think when Barack Obama uh, gets into office, America needs to see Jesus on the throne, and and not you know, but but we lose sight. And so when we're in the inner city, um, you can just bet that you're you're preaching to Democrats. Tim Keller um, is an excellent uh, model of this. I was I was going to go on to say that. And of course, uh, you're
1: assuming then that all Christians are
2: Republican from the way that you're addressing this. <laughs> absolutely, and and I'm not saying that they are, but there is a link there, and I don't want to be the guy to link. Earthly kingdoms with heavenly kingdoms. When I'm called to resent and be an ambassador for the, for the heavenly kingdom. The reality is I do not believe good things about human beings. Um, I don't believe Republicans are any more righteous than Democrats right. or vice versa. Right. And they both claim to be more righteous than the other. Let's just look at it. The Democrats claim that they're more righteous on social issues and they may have a point from time to time. The Republicans claim that they are more righteous on moral issues. I do not believe any of them is righteous. Right. And so I would not, uh, staple the kingdom of God to the back of any one of those earthly movements. And so, you know, it, Paul doesn't get involved politically and there was a lot to say. Um, and Jesus does not get involved politically, um, you know, uh, publicly. Um, in other words, uh, did, did, uh, are we told to submit to the government? Yes, we are. But are we called to um, bring the kingdom of heaven on earth through political process? No, we're not. Um, the, the kingdom come that we pray isn't through the Tea Party. The kingdom come that we pray is through the spread of the gospel and the expansion of Christ's rule and reign in the hearts of individuals. You know, there, and so
1: a, a buddy of mine, Coleman Luck, wrote a phenomenal book called The Curse of Conservatism. And the opening, I don't even know if it's a, a, a prologue to the book or um, or what, but it basically, <laughs> he opens it by saying, uh, Jesus Christ said that his kingdom was not of this world. And for 2,000 years, his followers have been trying to prove him wrong. <laughs> and I just, <laughs> I love the way that that's he, awesome. Yeah, I love the way that he puts it because um, one of the things that, and this is going to be really hard, I think, for a lot of people to hear. Um, especially in America, like I, I've come to realize that the America that I grew up loving and just being like, Oh, I'm so proud to be an American. You know, I've slowly began to realize, Hey, you know what? The, the Republic that I read about as a kid is, is dead. I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not there the way it was. And this, a lot of people are going to reject me saying this. They're going to be like, Pete's lost his rocker and that's fine. You'll you'll get there someday. No, I'm just kidding. But um but it's called wisdom kid. It comes with age. (laughs) It comes with age. (laughs) I'll give you some examples, man. Um I worked I I was hired on at a a company to redo all of their marketing. I was just given a hundred and twenty thousand dollar contract. They were spending about four million a year in advertising. I just come on to revamp it literally three weeks into this gig. And I'm in my office meeting with a vendor, and uh, the HR lady bursts into my office and says, everybody has to get out. The uh, The police are here. The FTC is here. The Everyone's here, and we're <laughs> basically being told we have to stop. So what had happened was the FTC had frozen this company, frozen their assets, frozen everything. And um, it, this was a law firm. And – long story short you know I'm reading their their everything from this case right because that that closed down the company the company was done you know one hundred and thirty people unemployed all their families uh unemployed a thousand clients left out in the dark and and these guys were a, a a law firm that specialized in in basically uh what we now know as loan modifications they were helping uh families um keep their homes and going through the whole loan modification process this is back before they had certain uh, rules in place. And these guys were actually one of the companies that were doing it. And so I'm, I'm reading, and I'd known these guys since there were literally six employees uh, because I also have the financial planning company. I had set them all up with their group, uh, their health insurance as a company. So, I mean, I knew when there was six people there and now they had 130, they just brought me in to redo all of their marketing And I'm reading through the court documents and literally reading line after line of a blatant lie from the FTC Mm. lawyers. I'm like, these guys are literally lying to the court, and they have no shame about it. It's actually something Mm. I read about in a book uh, by a guy by the name of Robert Cialdini. It's a book called Influence. And it's, it's actually a technique that really good lawyers – and when I say good lawyers, it doesn't mean moral or ethical lawyers, but they're good at being a lawyer. And the technique is basically you keep putting up as much crap as you can. You keep throwing motion after motion, uh, objection after objection, because what happens is the judge is going to go, well, you know what? I've already declined you know, your last four motions, so I feel bad. I'm going to go ahead and give you this one even though you shouldn't be giving it to them because it's still, you know, it's a bad motion or it's a bad objection. And so like one of the things is they said, you know, these guys literally didn't save anyone's home at all. And that's what the court documents that the FTC lawyer said to the court. And literally this is not the case, right? So when they're talking to the, there's somebody called a receiver and the receiver is the one that had taken over all the corporate assets and, um, So when when the the owners was at the 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 office going, hey, you know, we have the right to see, you know, where the files of all the the people that we've closed, Uh, we've basically done their loan modifications. It's been approved. They're like, oh, that's a huge stack. It's way over there in the corner. And they just kind of shook their heads because they're like, you guys literally lied to the court saying that they hadn't done any. And then, you know, we're here and it's like, oh, well, you know, there's tons of those files. They're over there. And it was just, like, Mm. thing after thing like that. And I'm sitting there reading all this stuff, knowing the inside information, and I'm just, like, freaked out going, you cannot win if the government wants to come after you. You're you're toast. You're you're not going to win. And then, you know, you you look at – I gave you an article, Peyton, a a week or so ago of, uh, uh, you know, in Texas where they basically – and th- this can be done in in all states, and I knew about it before. But they basically just seize your property. Go, you know what? We think this is drug related. We're going to take your money. We're going to take your car. And they specifically target uh, blacks and Hispanics, uh, minority yeah. groups. Yeah, and it's because they don't have power. Because they don't have power, they don't have money. They can't fight it. And just like you said, bullying with the badge. I mean, this was an article in the New Yorker, and um, and you know, the, they they made the point in the article. That normally the uh, the DAs are a little bit you know brighter because what they'll do is they'll threaten uh, parents. Hey, we're going to take away your kids. We're going to say that you know you're an unsafe family and that you're dealing in drugs and we're going to take away your kids and put them in foster care unless you mm. sign over your car and all of your your money. Yeah, and um. And they would literally have people sign, you know. Okay, I agreed. You can take my car and and my money. And we go. Oh, this doesn't happen in the United States. You, you can't do that. Oh, it, gosh. It's not. It's yeah. not true. I mean,
2: it, it absolutely it's, can happen, and it does. It does, and that's kind of where people talk about. Oh, you know, white people problems, and 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 as non PC as that may be to say to people, the reality is that that's what we're talking about because. It is a different experience to be a minority in America. And, and, and white people don't like to hear that because. Or they don't believe when you're, it. Or they don't believe it. They flat don't believe out. it. I'm telling you, church planters, get in the inner city and start planting, and you'll see this stuff with people you know and love and care about, and you'll see the other side of it. Um, we're all quick to judge. Let me tell you something. The powers that be are quick to judge people. And so, for example, um, in the last year, these these are some of the perils of church planting in the inner city. We have guys, they come, they get saved, they're on parole. Um, we We deal with a lot of uh ex-criminals in other words they come to Christ maybe they're addicts um they're they're criminals whatever they come to Jesus their life changes and they get ground up in the system so for example um in in the last year and a half we had two guys who uh one guy uh was fixing something at his parents' house he he you know was off on parole and uh he got pulled over for a traffic violation they found a pocket knife in his uh tool chest and so boom, he's, he went away. That was a year and a half ago. He's still in. He has no idea when he will get out again. Um, another one of our guys, uh, was pulled over, completely life change, completely changed around. Um, uh, ex-criminal, uh, drug addict, clean. Uh, getting a job, the whole thing. Oh, and by the way, it is very hard for these guys to get jobs. And you know that feeds into the system. You start kind of realizing, gosh, the gospel needs to push on. we got to do more. So we don't just help homeless people. We help homeless people get off the street. And in the past two years of being in Long Beach, we've actually helped two people get off the street. And that's been at personal cost, setting people up in hotel rooms, supporting families, um, giving them our own resources and things, but not just in relief uh, ministry. There's a difference between relief ministry and developing ministry. So developing ministry is saying, I want to change your life. I don't just want to throw money at you or clothes or food at you this week. Um, it's that teaching to fish idea. But anyway, so this guy gets, you know, he gets pulled over, and uh, the cops search him because he's on parole. They have a right uh, legally to search him at any time because he's out on contract. Well, what they find in his car is something from a year ago, under his seat. He's been walking with the Lord for nine months. They find under his seat um identity theft papers that he were unused but were there. And he, you know, how much crap do you got stuffed under your seat in your car that you forgot about? Hmm. So they pull it out, he fully confesses and says he doesn't say no, I've never those are my friends. He says, You know what, those were mine. I had intended to use them, but I became a Christian nine months ago and I absolutely forgot they were. Uh, underneath there what 's sad is because they were there, and he he forgot about it um he was he was jacked up on drugs most of the time anyways when he was using those um, No wonder he didn't remember they're under there, but he Got locked up. They're trying to book him for 15 years. These are the heartbreaks that we go through on a regular basis. Um, I've got things I can't even share uh, on this podcast um, because, you know, as a pastor, you, you got a, con- a confidentiality clause. You can't share everything. But I'm just telling you, like, when you go to pick a place to church plant— Consider the inner city. Just case in point, um, there's a website, uh, you know, a million blogs out there, but I found one by a guy named Jim Townsley. Uh, he's a pastor of Central Baptist Church, and he had a blog called Where Should a New Church Be Planted? And this is, this is where he said, I'm going to read you, um, it says, here are some locations where you may feel led to plant a church. A small, unevangelized village that is beyond the mainstream of society. Number two, a highly populated city with few churches. Number 3, a people group that's been ignored. Um, number 4, the inner city. The, the other ones had explanations. Number 4 is just the inner city, right? When I sat at that breakfast table with those men, here's what I said. Um, when when uh, they said, "Well, why don't people plant in in the inner city more often?" And I I just leaned back, looked at them, and I knew I was just basically going to like be the jerk at the table. I said, "Because there's not enough money there." For pastors to want to do it and they all looked at me and kind of blinked and I said yeah I said you know what we'll, we'll go church plant in Orange County we'll go church plant in Beverly Hills parts of LA but when it comes to the inner city baby there ain't a lot of people a lot of people means there's not you know not having a lot of people with jobs mean you're not going to have a lot of tithe. people go pastors go seminary grads go where they can be supported yeah um And the gospel is going primarily to white, middle-class America. And that in itself is a justice issue. That is an injustice. That is us refusing to do what the apostles said. When Paul tells his story in Galatians 1 and 2, he spends two chapters telling his story about how he became the apostle to the Gentiles. And he mentions that when he went to the apostles to the Jews, the twelve, 12, twelve Apostles to the Twelve Tribes, he mentions in Galatians chapter 2, he says, So they laid hands on me, they sent me out, and he said, Only they said to me, Do not forget the poor. That's Galatians 2.10, the very thing which I was eager to do. So Paul, at the dawn of his apostolic ministry, says to us, Look, one of the injunctions given to me by Jesus' twelve followers was don't forget the poor. If you're gonna go out there, target the poor. Paul says the very thing I was eager to do. This to me is is one of my issues right now. That's like a hot a hot topic to me. It's a button. I'm gonna tell you something. You go into the inner city. Um, you, you're my hero. You're a working class hero to me because you're gonna to have to get a job, and you are gonna you're gonna be seeing amazing things. The stuff we talk about is the stuff you read about. But it's because of where we're at, because of where we decide to go. And I could go to you know middle class white America just across the border of uh, uh, the border of Huntington Beach and, and Long Beach is what's known as the Orange County or the Orange Curtain. Orange County is one of the richest counties in the United States. But the reality is, you know what? I I don't want to get rich. Uh, I don't see godliness, like Paul said, as a means of financial gain. I'm not as some were peddling the word of God. Um, it's, it's not, it's not the means to riches for me. Um, I go where the need is and Long Beach is where the need yeah. is. And so I want to encourage our church planners and sorry, Pete, I know I'm having a rant here, but, uh, I want to encourage you guys. Just think of that list. There were 10 things on the list and he just boom, number four, the inner city. Um, it's just a given once you get into the inner city, um, you understand the reason why. And, and, and I just think that it's, it's the church, uh, is kind of like the good Samaritan right now. I mean, the, uh, the Pharisee and the, and the priest and the good Samaritan parable, just seeing the guy on the side of the road, bleeding and broken and just walking by thinking someone else will do it. I've got to get to Jericho, you know, I, I, Jericho's where it's at, baby. I got ministry in Jericho. I'm a Levite. I'm a. I'm a. It's funny how he mentions the Levite, the priest, and the Pharisee. You know, Um, he mentions the guys that are the religious guys that should have been doing something, but they're not. And uh, don't get
1: me started. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it's not to say that if God has called you to to Orange County, as an example, that you shouldn't go, because obviously, if that's where God's called you to, then you need to go there. But it is to say that that there is a huge segment of the American population specifically that's utterly neglected. Um, last Sunday, cause there's no money there. Yeah. Literally. Cause I mean, there's, there's no money and, and it's scary. I mean, yeah. let's face it to me, long beach is, is, eh, well, I wouldn't say it's as bad as Mexico, but <laughs> I mean, Mexico's pretty rough. Um, but, I mean, how many times can you just be driving through Long Beach and hear guns? I mean, it happens. It happens all the time.
2: All the time. Yeah, every night. I was talking to a guy who lives downtown. He says, every night I hear guns. He had just moved there. And he's like, I don't I don't know if I, if I want to keep living here, man. I hear gunshots every night. So when you've got a family,
1: like I think about my own situation. Okay, now I've got Jamie and I've got Luke, my two-year-old. And I'm like, you know, do I really want to move to Long Beach? because there's that that fear and you know I for me one of the things that I always remember is what Joel said when we interviewed him about Belize you know because what is he like 130 feet away from the the headquarters of one of the gangs i mean they're literally yeah. right next to this thing and he's like look i could get killed walking the streets here in america because if you're in god's hands you're in god's hands it doesn't matter where you're at so what do you really believe? Do you really believe that you're in God's hands? And if so, then you know, you don't worry about it as much. But um last week, I think it was last week, was was last week when uh Chris Langham was preaching? No, that was Charlie. No, yeah. Last week Chris was preaching. It was Chris. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he shared the story of uh Jim Elliott and um, you know, g- going to the tribes in um uh, and where was that again? Uh Ecuador. Yeah, Jim Elliott, Yeah, and Nate Saint. You know, they, they wanted to reach this one tribe, and and um, five of them went to go reach out to this tribe, and they were all killed. And then, of course, a couple of the the wives went back later and ended up uh, were able to witness to the tribes, and so many of them got saved. And um, you know, doing those kind of things, you you are gonna have these experiences where your life could be threatened. When we were at that pastor's conference that you referenced earlier, you and I one night, we went to a, a dinner, and I remember being emotionally exhausted because of all the the interviews that we had done for Church Planner Magazine, and they were just so moving and emotionally moving. I was I was exhausted, and I was the guy behind the camera, right? I mean, I wasn't even doing anything, but just emotionally exhausted. I remember we were sitting there at that dinner. And this one pastor was there and he had this associate pastor. I don't know if you remember this, but he was like (laughs) ragging on his associate pastor, like just kept putting him in his place. And I felt embarrassed for the associate pastor. Like it was, and you know me, I mean, you and I like rag on each other all the time. I'm like, hey, little buddy, you know, stuff like that. Hey, (laughs) Haas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I mean, this was like, it was uncomfortable. I mean, it was totally uncomfortable. And then right next to me is this other pastor, and I was telling you afterwards, I go, he was like, I don't know, like Barney Five, he's like, hey, let me tell you what we're doing, and, and it was like,
2: <laughs> but they're telling us, you know, and I could tell you did not like that. I even said something. Do you have it? You didn't like, that dude. Guy. You're I, like, I, dude, I wanted to punch him in the head. I did. I was, I was
1: almost about ready just to tell him off, like, dude, I get that you and him supposedly have this good relationship, but you don't know us and you're totally ripping on your guy in front of us how rude is that i mean it wasn't like i anyway but i didn't but the, you know the barney 5 pastor and he's telling us about the stuff that that they're doing expanding into mexico and how you know they're dealing with the drug cartels and how they they prayed over this this one cop before they went out on patrol and that night they got hit by like um, you know, these these cartel members and over a hundred bullets were fired, and this cop was not hit at all. And so then the police were like, Hey, can you come back and pray for all of us before we go out? <laughs> and like, and I'm I'm sitting there going, Dude, this is the guy who gets it. Like, this is the pastor who gets it. Not this other guy who's like, Yeah, I've got my associate pastor here and he needs yeah. to do all the work for me because I don't need to do it. And I'm like, dude. You know, you've you've made being a pastor some like kingship role, yeah. and that's not what it's about. It's about
2: absolutely literally risking everything and maybe even your life. You know, one one of my favorite interviews was the one with Bob Coy in Church Planner Magazine. In fact, it was just out in this issue. No, of the no, I was in the first one. Oh, was yeah. it? Oh, wow. Okay, sorry. It's uh it's it's actually like started lighting up on Twitter like just now. So there's apparently a delayed route, so I, I got confused. But the deal is, is that, you know, Bob said something in that interview that was profound. And it was all about when he was going to quit. He was in Fort Lauderdale back before it was all built up and, um, no one was coming to his church. It was like he was poor. You know, he had 40 people and he called up, uh, Odin Fong, who was kind of, uh, the head of the, uh, the seminary back here, um, for Calvary Chapel and, uh, young ministerial student school ministry. And, uh, he, he was just crying on his shoulder and he expected like, odin to you know he he puts in his own terms that he expected you know the the uh the right of the valkyries or some you know the battle Hymn of the republic to come you know he's going to give him this big pep talk and you know inspire him and 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 odin just goes hey man if uh if if you don't want to do it anymore he's like i got like 40 young guys right here that uh would just go you know uh love on a small congregation like that because they're just they just want to Bless people and, and and love them in Jesus' name and take care of his sheep. And he's like, yeah, man, just resign and let me know, and I'll, I'll, I'll send a guy out tomorrow. And he, he said, you know, he's so deflated. Like, you mean I'm not needed? Right. <laughs> like, you know, he had this view of ministry. Like, it had become all about him. And I think a lot of us start off that way, and there's a breaking process where things kind of, you know, they're small because Jesus is going, look, man, when it gets big, it it easily becomes about you. When it's small, it's like you're on this crucible where I can just, I can refine you. I can, I can take those desires out, like kind of like God says to Jeremiah. You know, He says to Baruch in uh, Jeremiah 45, uh, Baruch, do you seek great things for yourself? Don't seek them, right ministry 101 it ain't it ain't for you man it ain't about you uh it's it's not the church of peyton uh of jesus christ it's it's the church of jesus and my name's nowhere in there i was reading paul where he says and i became a servant to this gospel you serve it it does not serve you you are the servant you go where it tells you you go where god sends you it ain't about serving you baby and so here's here's the thing that uh, Bob Coy goes on to say in the interview. He just says, look, you know, I, I, I had to get to the point where I had to say, if it only gets to 40 people, is that okay? Yeah. You know, like, if that's what God has for me, am I okay with that? And he stood on this bridge where he parked his car, and he, he said, you know, Uh, it was the, the bridge that goes to Fort Lauderdale in Florida, lots of bridges. And, uh, he said, I stopped my car and I looked out over the water and I, I basically just, you know, he said, most people probably thought I was going to kill myself because a lot of people jump off that bridge. But he said, although I may have felt like I want to kill myself, the fact is I looked out and I thought, Lord, I'm yours. And this church plant's yours. And you've called me here. And he said, I said it out loud as I looked over the horizon, on that bridge. I said, I'm not leaving. This is my city. And he committed. He said, from that day on, the second I committed to just doing whatever God wanted me to do, to being wherever, God, like where it wasn't about him, he became a servant of the gospel. It was not his servant. Um, he just said that that was a game changer. Everything changed from then on. And, uh, and I would say that Paul was there. You know, he says, for I've told you with tears that some preach Christ out of envy and selfish ambition. You know, he says, "I, I cry when I think about it, you know, that there are people out there. It's about them. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think church planners at the beginning, you know, it has to be like Charles Spurgeon said, probably the greatest soul winner that ever lived outside of, uh, the apostle Paul, Whitfield and Wesley. Um, I would say fourth. He gets a meager fourth, but <laughs> I'm not even a contender, but he, he said this, he said, you know, uh, there's only two things you need really to be used of God, to love God and to love people. And, and, and if you, if you love God, it's, it's the two greatest commandments. You love God with all your heart. Like he's everything to you. Then the other stuff, then you'll go wherever, Yeah, you know, you see the the homeless dude on the, on the bus bench and God's like, stop your car. You'll stop your car go talk to him. I remember after I became a missionary, I did crazy stuff like that. I'd come back home on furlough and I'd be with my buddies and I'd have to stop my car and go talk to a homeless student. My buddies would be like, wow, man, I've I've lived here all my life and never done anything like that. I'm like, well, God told me to. And I remember once God God told me to go behind a, a Barnes and Noble and that I'd see a dude there. And so I did. I went back behind the Barnes and Noble and there's a homeless guy there. And I went and gave him a prophetic word and said, hey, God told me to come back here and talk to you. And Give you money. I gave him 20 bucks and talked to him. He started weeping. So I've been praying to God, you know, boom, boom, boom. Hmm. And and, and I know, you know, a lot of our listeners will write homeless people off because they've never done homeless ministry. Oh, you know, homeless guys just want your money. Um, Like I said, we've gotten two guys off the street. Um, It's just... I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm gonna shut Look, up. It's going where the need is, man. Because yeah, that's one thing nobody goes there. One, one, when I was at that funeral, real quick, Pete. When I was at that funeral, and then I'll shut up. I looked out <laughs> on that Pastor? sea of gangbangers out there. <laughs> I, I looked out on that sea of gangbangers. Seriously, and I was like, "Praise God for this day." Uh, these guys would never come into church. Like seriously, um. Who's going to reach them? Who's going to go into Santa Ana and the barrio and plant a church? Nobody, because there's no stinking money in it. They're not going to have the church of their dreams if they go there. And I just think it's a demonic ploy of Satan to keep us from doing what we got to do. If churches are going there, man, the world, stand up and take notice. Man, there's this church in the barrio, and it's transforming lives. You see what I'm saying? You know,
1: I think what you just hit on is exactly what I wanted to say, and that is there is— there is absolutely demonic forces at play here where I I was talking with um, Eddie Williams when we did, when I did his interview, the uh, NFL player and he's a pastor up in Washington. Um, And we were talking about the uh, Trivon Martin and George Zimmerman case. And there's so many people who are so passionate about each side. And it's really hard for me to not be political because I've been political my whole life. And the more and more I get into this church planning thing, the more and more I realize, you know what? None of that crap matters. And one of the things that I I shared with Eddie is um, there's a a film director by the name of Scott Derrickson and Scott uh, is a Biola graduate. He went to USC um, a couple of movies that he's done recently well, one a little little bit ago was uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose, which for me was got to be mm. the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, he just did one that that uh, was out recently with uh, Ethan Hawke called uh, Sinister, um, but he did for his USC uh, grad thesis movie his adaptation of uh, C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters. And it was so powerful that, I mean, he got all these calls from Hollywood. They're like, oh, we got to talk to you. We got to talk to you. And basically what he did was he just took an older demon and a younger demon. And the older demon was teaching the younger demon here. Here's how you do it. You know, here's, here's how you get these guys to hate each other. And the name of the short film was love in the ruins. And, and I was I remember telling this to Eddie, I go, you know, I'm looking at this Travon Martin, George Zimmerman deal, which has been a huge thing here in the United States and I'm like, this is Satan having a field day, Absolutely. because he's getting everyone to pick a side, and it has nothing to do with anything. I mean, it's, it's, you're missing the point. The point going on here is that Satan wants us to hate each other, wants us to fear each other, doesn't want us to show any love to each other, doesn't want us yeah. to share the news of Jesus Christ and Amen. instead has turned this into you know yet
2: again a race issue yeah and that's that's exactly it and when you're when you're reading the gospels and they're trying to sidetrack jesus he will not get sidetracked from his mission he will not focus on those things. Um, and, and if you believe the media, you know, I mean, like, you know, Fox News, they always take a hit. I like the fact that there's a station. I, I don't agree with them and I don't, you know, uh, believe everything I hear off Fox News by any, by any means. Um, I like the fact that they're actually the underdog and that, you know, so if it were the liberal station were the underdog, I'd listen to it. You know what I'm saying, so and I don't I don't have cable, so I it's not like I. But if I'm over at someone's house and uh, you know I turn it on and whatever, the reality is is that the more of Rush Limbaugh or Fox News you listen to, the angrier you get at the wrong things. Yes. In in other words, what what I'm saying is, you know, at the moment when you're listening to that stuff, it sounds so righteous and so good. And when you back away, you realize, I have just transformed into a Pharisee. Yes. I think I'm righteous, and I am just completely pissed off at the wrong people about the wrong things. And Jesus would not go on Fox News. He would not go on Rush Limbaugh and talk like that. And I'm I'm just, you know, the the reality is that uh, where we're at in the inner city, man, you stand up and start preaching like that on the street corner, you're going to get shot or pummeled. But you stand up and preach the gospel, God's grace, and people are going to be broken and in tears and transformed. And isn't that what and, it's all about? I mean, isn't that what the whole game is? It's not
1: about, yeah. you know, let my, my next Republican become president. I mean, that's not yeah. the game. The game is, you know, how many people can we share the gospel with? How many people can we help, um, you know, bring into the kingdom? I mean, it's yeah. it's God's game. We're along for the ride. But, you know, I, another great line, and I would recommend to everyone to pick up The Curse of Conservatism. It's on Kindle by hmm. Coleman Luck. But another great...
2: In addition to Church Zero. In addition to Church Zero. Ding, ding! <laughs> but, uh, you know, another great line that he said in the book, he goes... That's my book, by the way. He goes... I just have to say he, that. I have to plug
1: it. Sorry, Pete. He, he says... <laughs> You know, I believe that, that Jesus isn't gonna come back until every form of man's government has been tried and shown to fail. Amen. And I just I look Amen. at, you know, like what we would consider is, is the pinnacle of government, which is democracy, our our yeah. little republic here where we rule ourselves and it's 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 a joke. I mean, badges yeah. with bullies and not all cops are bad. I've got cops who are clients and they're great cops. I, in fact, one guy I know is a hardcore Christian and he's always going to Mexico and doing missions trips down there. And I mean, that, that's not the deal at all, but it, no. it gets our focus off of what's important when we start taking up these political things. And it, it really, the focus is, like you said, God, God allowed Eric's life to be taken when he did but it also opened up so many doors. And yeah. who knows where that's yeah. going to keep going?
2: Absolutely. It, it's so often a question of focus, isn't it? I mean, you know, like what you were just saying, you know, we, we can focus on Christ's kingdom or we can focus on our kingdom. Um, we've been talking about our kingdom and the relation of where we choose to church plant. You know, it can be such a self-serving thing to church plant that I go into an area that's going to serve me and not that community. Um, political. You know, am I am I serving Christ's kingdom or am I serving man's kingdom? Um, you know, all, all these things come back to focus. We're told to pray on a daily basis, "Your kingdom come, Your will be done." And as long as we continue to put that in front of our eyes, that's going to make probably the biggest difference of you know where we fall. Like I said, Christ was was focused man. It says that He set His face like flint to Jerusalem. He knew the cross and the gospel. Those two things, that's where he was going. And I think we need to do that like Paul who said, for I labor to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. Well, you've been listening to uh, our version of the facts <laughs> as we see them uh, on the Church Planner Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Um, if you want to pick up the latest issue of Church Planner Magazine, it is on the stands. Um, and it is and being paid is for by, uh, by a sponsor right now. So you can get a subscription for free. Free, baby, my favorite number. We've actually doubled and, uh, our
1: subscriptions in the last week since we've had that
2: sponsor. So... That's pretty yeah, cool. baby. So go on there, check us out. It's free, won't cost you a thing. It will gain you everything. And so it's meant to be a mini church planner conference in every issue. We want you to go on there, have that. That's a gift this month. And uh, we also want to remind you at the close of our program that if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.